you know, what does it take to interrupt your routine of life? Think about that. What, what does it take to interrupt your routine of life? We all have routines that we stick to. What is it that has to come our way to interrupt that? I remember my freshman year of college, I was laying in bed and I get a call from my mom. It's on April 13th. And she's, she's like, hey, you, you got to come home today. Your sister's, her water just broke and she's about to have a baby. And it was her first grandkid and my first nephew. And she's like, you, you got to come right now. And I'm like, I can't come, Mom. I can't come right now. She's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I got class all day. I'm paying for my own school. I'm going to class today. I'm not going to, you know, drive up to the waiting room and wait for, like, you know how long these things can last. I'm not just going to sit there and, and wait with you all. Like, I got stuff to do today. I'm like, I'll go to class. And when class gets out, then I'll go. And, you know, that's just not the answer that you're supposed to give your mom in those situations. If, if you're curious, just tuck that one away for later. And so she was not happy. But I, so I go to class all day. I go, I get in my truck. I drive to Paducah, Kentucky, where my wife, or my, not my wife, my sister delivered. And, and I literally park, I walk right up. And I kid you not, I get to hold him like as soon as I get there. And I'm like, see, mom, I told you, right? Like, you know, that, that, and, and I realized my nephew, was not interrupting my life for, right? Like in that moment. And, 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 and I was kind of thinking in a serious manner, you know, what is it that, that makes us willing to take a step back, to kind of see life and to not just get caught up in living, but to, to take a step back and to, to see and to make the adjustments that we actually need to make in life, especially when we're kind of going down a path that we don't really want to be on. What is it that makes us take a step back. I remember when I was coming to college, I'd been in just kind of one relationship after the next. And, and the Lord was just kind of showing me that I didn't know how to live in a holy relationship that honored a God and that honored a woman. And so I just remember kind of going through this, going to the college and be like, I, I don't think I need to date anyone for the first two years of college. And you're like, what? Like, isn't that what you're supposed to date? And, and the Lord was just going, you've got some things to figure out. So this kind of radical change in my life where I went from just dating, dating, dating to complete stop. And go, what is it that makes us willing to change course in our lives? You know, I was thinking about Sir Isaac Newton this week, probably like most of you guys were. And for some reason, I was thinking about his laws of motion. And, you know, one of his laws of motion, it says this, that a body at rest will remain at rest. And a body in motion will remain in motion until it's acted upon by an external force. And it simply means that, that things aren't going to start and they're not going to stop. They're not going to change directions all by themselves. That it's going to take something outside of to, to create this motion, this movement in a different direction. And I just was thinking, you know, there's, this is so true in the spiritual world. That, that so often when we're stagnant, when we're complacent, or when we're going just the wrong direction, that what we need is something beyond ourselves. And we've tried everything we know how to do. We need a force from heaven. We need the movement of God to come into our lives, to help us take a step back and to make the adjustments that we need to make. And we, what we discover in Acts chapter 9 is that God works in an amazing amount of ways to get our attention. So I love the story we're going to be in this morning, Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. The first thing I want to draw our attention to this morning is the passion of this man named Saul. Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul, Saul, not Saul, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. 
He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus, and, and, and I love this. If you were with us two weeks ago, we talked about this man named Stephen. We've been journeying through the book of Acts. It's just the history of the church as we kind of know it. And we learned about this man named Stephen who was the second Christian martyr. The first was Jesus. And, and at Stephen's um, where he was murdered, there was this man named Saul, the same Saul that we just read about. And while he wasn't participating in the murdering, he was observing. It says that he was approving of, of what happened. And what you see in this man is that he is a man of great passion, a man who, who had a great passion to put the end to Christianity. And for what we know about Saul is he's not motivated out of pure hatred. Like he's not this Hitler-like character. He, he thinks that he's actually doing this in service to God. As so you go back and you read, you know, good Jewish people in the first century, they would have followed the Old Testament. They would have followed the law. And you read in Leviticus chapter 24, and it says that anyone who is caught blaspheming, they're going to be stoned to death. Like it's the community's job to, to get rid of people who are speaking blasphemous words against God. And so all Saul knows, he's this man who is sold out to, to his Jewish way of life. He's sold out to his God. And he knows that in his law, that it's his job to completely exterminate those who are blasphemous. And so he hears of this man named Jesus who claims that he is God in the flesh, that he claims that he's the son of God and his followers are claiming that he was the son of God. And so his job, his life mission, his passion, is, is to serve God. And so he goes, man, anything that's coming up against my God, I'm gonna do everything I can to stop it. He's a man of passion. He traveled 135 miles by foot from Jerusalem to Damascus, a six-day journey. He's a man of conviction. And yet he was misguided. He was off. I remember when I was in college, went out to visit my wife's family and we were driving back to Nashville and I'm in my truck and she's behind me. And as I'm driving down the road, I, it, it's like raining really hard. And I see these guys on the side of the road. And I'm like, man, if I was on the side of the road, I would want someone to come and like help me out, give me a ride. So I pull over and I'm like, do you guys, you don't have umbrellas, you wanna get in the truck? I'd love to give you a ride to wherever. And they're like, yeah, that'd be great. And so, you know, they get in the truck and we start talking. They're very nice guys. And I take them to where they're, they're going. And my wife, you know, she calls me right after. She's like, do you know what you just did? I'm like, I have no idea. She's like, those guys were wearing black pants, white shirts, black ties. She's like, they were Jehovah's Witnesses. And I'm like, oh, for real? Like, I had no idea. Like, she's like, you, have you just like lived in a bubble your whole life? Like, how do you, how do you not know who these people are? And, 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 you know, discover some things about people who are Jehovah's Witness. They, they believe in Jesus, but they don't believe that he's God. So they're, they don't believe the same things we believe. But what I realized that day is that, that these guys, what they were doing is they were going door to door, knocking and telling people about what they believe in. And I go, what passion, right? What, what conviction? Even though it's, it's off, I go, think about their devotion, what they're willing to risk for that. Or I think about uh, the, the Muslim community right now. And I've got a friend right now who's, who's Muslim. He's not a follower of Jesus. He's, he's, I'm trying to get him there, praying for him, doing everything I can to get him into to the kingdom. And, 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 and they're entering out of a season of prayer and fasting for the season of Ramadan that, that almost for the past 30 days, they've been fasting from sunup to sundown. They don't even drink water, right? Like it's a, it's a big deal. And I go, I see the devotion. I see the conviction that you don't, you don't do that unless you're serious about your religion and yet they're off. And I look at, I look at Saul and you see a man that, that travels six days because of what he believes. This is a man of great passion. I love that, that the passion of Saul is met by the presence of Jesus. Verse three, 
says, as, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Or a better translation is, who are you, sir? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. And for three days, he was blind and he did not eat or drink anything. You know, for a lot of my life, I wanted an experience like this. I think part of me believed that, that I had to have some dramatic, extreme encounter with God. Man, they're having fun back there. Did y'all hear that? And at the core of it was a couple of things. I thought I had to have an experience like this. And, and at the core of it was, was I wanted proof that God was real. I wanted an encounter with, with Jesus like this because I wanted to know without a shadow of a doubt that, that he was real, but it was also more than that. I wanted proof that I was the real deal. You see, I believe that if I didn't have some huge moment, it, it meant that what I had with Christ wasn't real. And I want to be very clear. You know, sometimes God does reveal himself in some supernatural ways to get people's attention. I think about several years ago, I was walking with this guy and he was not a follower of Jesus. And he was telling me, you know, about this part of his life and his marriage was just a wreck. He was, there was no satisfaction. Like they were just going opposite direction. There was, there was no hope for them. He, he had no God in his life. There was, there was no hope there. And I remember him telling me one night, he's like, I just kind of threw up this, this Hail Mary prayer to God. Like, he had this spot on his, on his body and it had been there. And he's like, I don't know why I prayed this. Never prayed before, like wasn't what I did. He said, I just remember praying, God, if, if you're real and if you want me to stay in this marriage, make this spot disappear. And he goes to sleep and he wakes up the next morning. He goes and looks in the mirror and, and the spot's gone. And he's like, Brandon, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> he's like, I was not a follower of Jesus, like, and yet I just prayed this, this spot that had been in a part of my body and now it's gone. And, and it's crazy that it became this, like that became the thing that led him to discover the realness of Christ. Sometimes God works in supernatural ways to get people's attention. I think about our neighbor two doors down from us. I remember feeling led one night that I knew he had excruciating foot pain. And so I remember just feeling like God, God just kind of stirring. Hey, I want you to, to just go and, and pray for him. And I'm like, we haven't really been there, God. Like, you know, like, I'm cool talking to him. I don't, and, and just kept feeling this, like, you gotta do this. So I drive to his house one, one night, it's eight o'clock at night, it's dark. And, and I walk in their, their house and they're like, hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, I, I feel like God wanted me to come here and just to pray for your foot. Is your foot hurting? He's like, yeah, it's hurting a lot. And I'm like, yeah, I feel like I'm supposed to pray for you. So I'm like, is it okay if I put my hand on your foot? And he's like, that'd be weird. His wife's like, you put your hands on his foot, right? And, and so, you know, I, I put my hands on his feet and I pray, God, simple prayer, God, take this pain away. And I get done praying and I'm like, hey, how's your foot? He's like, it's better. I'm like, what do you mean better? I'm like, what was the, the pain when we started praying? He's like, it's probably like a seven or eight. I'm like, what is it now? He's like, it's probably like a two or three. And I'm like, let's pray one more time. I don't think God wants you to have any pain. Let's pray one more time. And so just pray, God, take away his pain. At the end of the, the prayer, his wife chimes in and she's crying. And she says, God, this morning, you told me to believe. You told me just to trust you. And tonight you sent a friend here just to encourage us. 
Again, I'm praying and I'm like, wow, that was crazy. How's your foot pain? It's completely gone. I'm like, guys, sometimes God does supernatural things, things that we've never experienced, things that we've never seen, things that even I'm telling you, you're kind of doubting and that's okay. There's room for doubt in the family of God. Jesus will meet you there. Sometimes God works in supernatural ways to get people's attention, but I want you to know this. It's always supernatural when God gets someone's attention. So sometimes God does something supernatural to get people's attention, but it's always supernatural when God gets someone's attention. So whether you came to believe in Jesus because your parents taught you the scriptures and they prioritized worship and they prioritized the Lord, which is the way that God designed it, just so you know. It's, it's generational responsibility. So if you come here today and your story, you don't have some strange moment where you're, you know, you're, you're driving to get coffee and, and the, the Lord just blinds you and you have scales fall off your eyes. If your story is that you grew up going to church because your parents prioritized Jesus and they taught you the scriptures, you came to, to trust in Jesus. The next time you see your parents, tell them well done and give them a huge hug and thank them because they did exactly what the Lord asked them to do. Or whether you came to, to believe in Jesus, like the man we studied last week in Acts chapter eight, where you're just, you're, you're studying the scriptures and your whole life you'd been an outcast. And you realized that, that, that God was calling you, that, that, though, that no one in, in the world wanted you, that God wanted you. Or maybe your story was like the man last week that, 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 that you had a friend who came along and he opened your eyes or she opened your eyes to the realness of Jesus. Or, or maybe you did have an extreme encounter like this. And whatever your story is with Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's supernatural that you believe in a God that you can't see. That you're, you're yielding your life to a God that you cannot see. It's supernatural. The passion of Saul is met by the presence of Jesus. Keep, he keeps going and through the promptings of the Spirit and the participation of the saints. This is verse 10 through 16. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call in your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and he entered it. And you know, so many things about this story are fascinating to me. Straight street, the, the street that God tells Ananias to go to. Do you realize that this street is still in use today? That in Damascus, people still travel on this road today? Pretty fascinating. This is not some made up story. It's rooted in history and truth. I love in this story that God spoke to Ananias, that God prompted Ananias. How amazing is this scenario? Think about this for a minute. It's like, John, you're sitting at your house and all of a sudden God shows up in a very specific way. Like, hey, I want you to go to, to Jesse's house. And Jesse lives on Broadway and this is his address. And, and in Jesse's vision, he's also seen a man named John that's gonna come and, and place his hands on him. Like, think about this. Like we read this stuff in the Bible and it's like, oh, that's cool. But think about if that happened to you, Jenna. How specific God is, is working and speaking in this. And, 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 and I want to say this, you know, a question I've been wrestling with is, is how do we know when God is prompting us? How do you know when God's prompting you in this way? I don't want to say, 
oh, you just know? That's not helpful. The reality is sometimes you do know, and a lot of times you don't. We talked about last week that, that each person who has given their life to loving and following Jesus, man, you, you were made to hear from God. That it's your right, it's your privilege to, to hear from God. So it's not a matter of if we hear from God, but the question is, how do we distinguish our voice from God's voice? Right, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've wrestled with this before. You're like, I don't know if that's for me or if that's from God. This might be a good litmus test for us. When we have a thought to encourage someone, a thought to love someone, a thought to include someone, a picture that inspires someone, a verse of scripture that encourages someone. When God gives us something that invites someone into closer communion with Christ and with Christ's people, what makes us think that originates from us? And so a lot of times we're going, man, was that thought from God? Is that thought from me? And I go, let's just assume that every good thought we have is from God because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And we know what we do when, when we're in charge, right? Like think about your life before Christ and how you would steward your life, how you would live your life, how you would make decisions, how you would steward your money before Christ. It's like, we, we just, we know how to shipwreck our lives. God knows how to drive the ship. What I admire about Ananias as, as he's discerning is, is that he's wrestling with God and God gives him space to do that, right? Have you ever had one of those moments where, where God's like putting something on you, Sarah, and you're like, man, is that from me or is that, is that from God? And, and he's going, God, you, do, you, do you even know who Saul is? Like, you've been paying attention, God? Like, do, do you know this, that this man has come here to, to kill Christians? And, and, and I love that he's wrestling with God and God's okay with the wrestling. But at the end of the day, what does Ananias do? He obeys. He does the thing that God is putting on his heart to do. We were in house church this week. There's a lady in our, in our house church and she was talking about, um, you know, she's like, you know, you know those moments in life where, and, and we've had them, where, where, where God will put something on your heart to go and share with someone or he'll put someone in your heart. Hey, you need to go talk to this person. And she says, you know, God's put those moments on, on my heart before and and of course I've done it. Of course I did it. And there was something about her, her sharing that where, where I realized, oh, her default in her life is obedience. And I realized how often, and, and maybe you're like this, but, but how my default so often is grace. Where God will put something on my heart. He'll, he'll, he'll put something on my, my heart. Hey, take this step or go encourage or share this or, or, or do something. And, and so often I'm like, I don't know, God. And it feels more like a, a tug of war with God where I always end up winning, where it's like discernment is, is in my hand where I get to, to call the final shot. And, and I realized from listening to my sister that, that the default in her life was obedience, that when God speaks, she moves. When God puts something in her heart, her, her posture is, yes, Lord, every time. And it's not, hey, how does this feel? What's this gonna look like? What does it mean for me? It's like, Lord, if you're speaking, I'm gonna do it. I think about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven, verse 21, where he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who's in heaven. He goes on to say, many on that day will say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus, you're calling someone who's driving demons out of people an evildoer? 
And you're calling someone who's passing along prophetic words for the, for the encouraging and the strengthening and the comforting of the church, you're calling them evil. And what Jesus is getting at is, is that so often we go through this life and we wanna do things for Jesus and all he wants us to do is follow him. And so often it's like, you know, I, I tell this to my kids, hey, hey, will you, will you clean up your room? They're like, hey, dad, what if instead I go outside and work with you? And I'm like, no, what if you do the thing I ask you to do? And the Lord is going, I just want followers. What it means to follow Jesus, this isn't rocket science, is to actually follow Jesus. To do what Jesus says. And it's not always us sitting around waiting for the Holy Spirit to reveal something specific like he did here with Ananias. But I want you to know that the Holy Spirit will do this. You're all gonna have these moments as followers of Jesus where, where God's gonna include you in his plans. Like he's gonna, he's gonna have a, a moment where, where you're just the right person, Paul. Like where you're the person that God wants to use. But I think what God was showing me is that, that he desires for us not to just to sit around and do nothing and wait for these, these awesome moments that, he's, that he wants us to, to live into the things that he's already spoken. And when God has specific plans for us, we're used to obedience. Our default is obedience. God looks at us and he sees people who are trustworthy. The passion of Saul is met by the presence of Jesus. Through the promptings of the spirit and the participation of the saints, people find their place in God's family. Verse 17 through 19 says, then Ananias went to the house and he entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. This is the word of the Lord from Acts chapter nine. You know, I've never prayed with someone. And then after we got done praying, scales fell off their eyes and they went and got baptized. Like maybe that's like an every Tuesday thing for you. Like, it's never happened to me. You know, sometimes God works through you and you get to see it and you know it. And sometimes you have no idea. And that's the beauty of following God. I remember a time when my son was a baby and, and it was in the middle of the night. And I remember I was having this dream. And all I remember is that I just, I saw the face of this friend from college. I hadn't seen him in a long time. And I just, I saw his face. And in the middle of my dream, my son Jones was, he was crying and, and so it woke me up. And, and I remember like going, oh, there, like there was something to that dream. Like I don't dream very often. If I do, I don't really typically remember the details. I don't remember things very clearly. But I remember waking up and going, oh, I thought about that guy. I think I, think I just need to check on him. And so I remember just giving him a call. Hey man, sounds weird. You were in my dream last night. Nothing weird about it. Just saw your face, right? And, and just wanted to, to call and say, hey, my son woke up in the middle of the night and he was crying, interrupted my dream, but just wanted to say, hey, see how you're doing. He calls me back a little bit later and he said, you have no idea how much that meant to me. And I'm like, what do you mean? He said, I'm, I'm literally, he's like, I'm getting ready for work to, to go and tell my boss that I'm, I'm, I'm gonna step into this new opportunity that's been presented. I'm scared about it. I'm, I'm nervous. Like, I don't know if this is what God wants. And he's like, you, 
the fact that like God put you on my heart this exact time when I'm literally going to have a conversation with my boss is such comfort that, that he sees me, that, that he's with me. And he said, but beyond that, he said, the detail about your son crying, he's like, that means something to me. He said, me and my wife, we've been trying to have a baby for a long time. And he said that, 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 that you hearing your son cry and that waking you up, he said, that just gave me confirmation that God sees us and we're not going to quit. And I'm like, yeah, don't quit trying. Like, keep doing that, right? Like, keep, keep going after it. And it's amazing because I had no idea. And so often the way that God chooses to work through us is, is just by us just paying attention to what God's doing. There's sometimes that, that, that God shows us and we get to see what he's doing. A lot of times we don't. I remember this time, one of my coworkers, he and his family, they were going to, to spend some time doing some mission work and, and, and they were nervous because their whole family had never gone before like this. And so I remember we had a, our whole staff got a, around them and we prayed and we worshiped and we were just asking God, hey God, if you have anything that you want to pass along to, if there's any encouraging words, if there's any scripture that, that you want to pass them, just give it to us. And I remember we were praying and God just gives this, like it's, it's like almost instant. This Isaiah 43 is what I hear. So I go up to him and I'm, and I'm reading Isaiah 43 and, you know, and I'm reading it to him and I'm like, oh man, I probably should have read this before I shared it because there's some, you know, it, it literally says, I'm going to give, I'm going to give someone in your ransom. And, you know, when you walk through the water, you're not going to, you know, you're not, it's not going to overtake you. And he's like, why are you sharing this with me? And I'm like, I know I should have thought through that, right? Like I, I should have prayed more and, 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 and I gave it to him about 10 minutes later, we're still in this prayer. And another one of my coworkers, she's, says out loud to our whole team, hey, I feel like God's just putting Isaiah 43. You, just, you guys need to clean Isaiah 43. And they like look at me, they're like, did y'all just talk? We're like, no, like, we didn't just talk. Like, that's from God. They get on the plane, they, they, they drive, or they, they didn't drive on a plane. They flew to where they were going and they get off their part of this conference and the, the theme of the conference, which they didn't know about was Isaiah 43. On their way home, they stop in Portugal to visit one of our church planners and, and they get off the plane and there's this woman who meets them and she said, hey, for the past three days, I've been fasting and praying for you and your family. And the Lord put a passage of scripture on my heart, Isaiah 43. And she had underlined two verses. That's what I should have done, right? Like I should have waited and like, God, what's the specific verses? And, and I tell you that because I go, man, God, sometimes he, he, he loves to work through us. He loves to work through all of us. And it's so fun to have the spirit of the living God in you, guiding you, because it takes all the pressure off. The spirit of God speaks and the spirit of God guides and the spirit of God equips and the spirit of God helps and the spirit of God is available for all. You just have to ask, God, I want you. God, I want you to be in charge of my life. I want you to lead my life. I don't want you just to show up for a show. I want you to stay and so we began this morning with a question. Hey, what does it take to interrupt the routine of your life? And some of you come here this morning and you're, and you're waiting on a sign from God. You're waiting on something supernatural. And the fact that you are here, the fact that, that you want that, that you're searching, it shows that you're at least interested in God. And I would encourage you to keep seeking to join a grow class this summer, to, to start praying if you don't pray and start praying very specific things. God, help me to see you today. Help me to feel you today, God. Help me to believe in you today. Some of you come here this morning and you're scared to come to God because of your sin, because of your choices. 
And I want to just encourage you. God does not want to destroy you. He wants to save you from what is destroying you. Right? That, that Saul's life was, was one of destruction. And, and so many of you, you're scared to come into God's presence. You're scared to open your life because you're scared of what he's going to say. You're scared that he's going to condemn you. And that's not who God is. I was just thinking, you know, it's like you, you, you go on a, a long hike and so many of you, you're, you're trying to go on this hike of life without any water. And God's like looking at you going, you, you need the water. You need me. You can't do this journey without me. And, and so many of you, you're feeling the fatigue of life, of walking up the mountain because Christ is not in your life. You don't have the freshness of life with God. You don't have the forgiveness. And God is just going, I want to give you this living. I want to give you myself. I want to give you forgiveness. I want to give you my heart. And all I want is you. I want your surrender. Some of you come here this morning. And if you found Jesus, keep surrendering. Keep dying to yourself. Let go of the reins of your life. Be like Ananias. Be willing to yield to the things that the Lord is speaking. And some of you are followers of Jesus. And, and the Lord has spoken something over your life. He's spoken something for you to do or spoken something for you to know, but you've, you've kind of been in this season where you've been like keeping it at arm's distance. You've kind of been dragging your feet. And I want to encourage you, don't drag your feet anymore. And if God's put something on your heart and you're, you're wrestling with, hey, is this actually God? If it's, if it's a, a choice, if it's, if it's something that God's calling you into the unknown, then invite people who, who love Jesus, who have the Holy Spirit to discern it with you. There's nothing wrong about inviting people to help you discern what God's trying to do in your life. But I wanna encourage you, don't drag your feet. I wanna end by giving us a question or two to go to communion, to think about. So we throw those last slides up, please, Rachel, the very last slide. And we take communion every Sunday. We, we eat the bread, we drink the cup to remember Christ. Remember that he died for us, that he rose again, that he's included us. It's all his work. And one of the practices that we have here at Ethos is we take the communion, we take it together. And you can take it by yourself, but if you feel comfortable eating and drinking with other people, please do that. And so I invite you to, to eat the bread, drink the cup, and you can go spread out all over the room. You can circle up your chairs. I encourage you to do this with a couple other people and to spend some time resting with these two questions. You can just, we'll leave these questions up during communion so you can reference back to them. But I want to pray for us and send us to communion. And so God, thank you for this morning. I pray, Father, that, um, that you would be glorified in this place and that you alone receive the glory. And that we would see you for who you are, Jesus. And we would live our lives completely for you. And I pray, God, that, that today you would draw us closer to you, and that you would forgive us of our sins, that you would help us to trust in you. And God, I pray that you would pour out your spirit in a fresh way. And I pray that you would help us to believe that, that each of us, we were truly made to hear from you. And it's not just a privilege of one or two, God, but as your children, we all hear from you as our Father. And so would you speak to us? As we break the bread, would you speak to us? As we drink the cup, speak to us. And we'll obey. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.